1: All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the highly acclaimed Imperfectly Perfect podcast, and today, none other than Takaya Honda. So before we get started, straight into a round of questions, I'm going to go through his bio so we can just know a little bit more about him. So he could have chosen a very different vocation if he had not been for an inspiring high school drama teacher at Barker College on Sydney's North Shore, who ignited his passion for performing. As a talented baseball player in his teams, Takaya looked towards playing at an American college, but was ultimately drawn towards acting on stage, TV and Film. Completed a Bachelor of Communication from the University of Technology, major in media arts and production, I was a founding member of the Sport, the Yove Theatre Company, starring in many of their critically acclaimed productions, including Hamlet, A Midsummer Night's Dream, As You Like It, and Romeo and Juliet. 33 year olds extensive film and television credentials include roles in Girls Word the Code, By Great Big Adventure, Naked Strangers, and more recently, SBS's three-time equity, best comedy ensemble, women. Winning the family law. His singing and improvisation skills scored him a role on Play School and for the iconic program's 50th anniversary, he starred alongside renowned SBS news reporter Lee Lin Chin. He joined Neighbours' regular cast in July of 2016 in the role of Dr David Tanaka. He said at the time, I feel so privileged at this time in my career to not only be a part of one staple of Australian television in Play School, but to also have the opportunity to join the regular cast of another in Neighbours and learn from such prominent and long-standing Australian talent which is truly seeing his dreams fulfilled. Takaya has been one half of the much celebrated Daron, the relationship of David and Aaron, where Takaya alongside actor Matt Wilson played out the first same-sex wedding on Australian television since it was legalised receiving much worldwide celebration. Born in Canberra, Takaya grew up in Sydney with his brother, a sports scientist with the Australian Olympic swimming team, and parents, Japanese-born father, K- Kazuya, I hope I did not say that wrong, Takaya, there. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that works. Okay. <laughs> a former head coach at the Australian Institute of Sport for Women's Artistic Gymnastics, and his mother, Rhonda, a retired physical education teacher, gymnastic coach, and FIG judge, Rhonda was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's over a decade ago when she was just 53, and Takaya hopes to raise awareness of the debilitating disease and the impact it has on families through his ambassador embatt- Ambassadorship with Dementia Australia, often hosting and in their events, Australia wide So first and foremost, welcome to the show, Skaya. Uh, thank you, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome, mate. Now let's just take it right to the beginning. What I like to do is obviously when you guys, you're on highly acclaimed shows, you've got an amazing um, list of credentials, but often people don't see behind the scenes. So they see everything the highlight reels. When I first reached out to you to uh, to get amongst the global efforts of the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, you were straight on board to draw attention to Dementia Australia. So I suppose going back to your own upbringing, what do people see behind the scenes as somebody that's gone through a lot in terms of their acting career to then get on two highly acclaimed shows? What is the hard work behind that, the process?
0: Oh, yeah, that's a big question. <laughs> um, it's it, it's it's hard work. I mean, I think often in terms of this industry and acting as it is, people often think that uh, you, you kind of just turn up and you go for a role and then you get it and then, then it's happy days. And that kind of did happen for me. The first audition I did professionally was a TV series uh, for a regular role uh, in a show called A Girl's World. Um, and it was my first audition and I booked it. Uh, I had one call back and then I got it, which was uh, kind of insane. And then that set me up to think, oh, cool. Well, all I do is get an audition and I <laughs> get a role. I came back from shooting that was actually shot in Singapore for part of that. And um, and then I was, I was I was straight into auditioning for the film Tomorrow When the World began. And I was put on hold for that. I think it was in the top three for it. Uh, for it was, it was quite a long process, about two months, I think. Um, and I was like, oh, well, look, I just get another audition and I get another role. Uh, and I ended up missing out on that, but it gave me this taste of like, oh, all I need to do is get auditions and then I get I get roles, which <laughs> isn't really the case. Um, so, I mean, the hard work is then persistence, really. Uh, but it's a strange thing for me as well, because after Mom got diagnosed and I had to care for her for a few years, um, it's kind of telling to say, like, I did a bunch of theatre work in that time, but... Once I uh, once mum and dad moved to Brisbane and I was sort of free to be just taking care of myself, I guess, um, within, I think, two years, I booked uh, play school, the family law and neighbours uh, on a run. So it was it was a it was kind of telling that the toll that it perhaps was taking on me, taking care of mum, but and also perhaps just a subconscious thing of of knowing mum needed me, I guess, and perhaps not doing as well as I should have in those auditions in the in-between. Um, not to say that I necessarily would have got them, but, but it definitely has an impact, which um, during that time I probably wasn't perceiving uh, just because I was in the middle of it, I guess. Um, and being on Neighbours now, it's funny because a lot of people, will, you know, Instagram message you or whatever, um, contact you to go, Oh, can you get me on neighbors? How do I get on neighbours? And I I just say, Well, have you done any acting yet? <laughs> um, the, the only the only advice I can give is to act, to go out there and act as much as you can um to build up your skill set so that if the opportunity does come where an audition for neighbors is there, that you're prepared for it. Um and it, it ultimately, it doesn't even matter how good you are to a certain extent, because the role's got to be right for you. Um, in the, how they cast now, they can cast their net so wide to find uh, the right actor for the role. Um, oftentimes now, they're, they're finding someone who's pretty close to the character already, um, because why wouldn't they? Um, and on a show like Neighbours, for any regular series role, you've got to have some similarities to your character, uh, because you just... I've done... Uh, like six hundred-ish episodes or something now, um, and whilst I'm, I'm still definitely acting when I'm doing my role, there's certain things that David does I definitely wouldn't do. Um, at the speed at which we shoot, having strong instincts as to understand who that character is helps. Um, so if you were if you were doing a full character with different a different voice and completely different physicality, um, it would make it very very difficult uh, just. We're shooting the amount of content that we do, uh, for the extended hours that we do, um, I've kind of gone off track here. So <laughs> uh, I, I have a habit of doing that. So watch out. Um, but yeah, in terms of getting onto a show like Neighbours or, or Play School and that kind of stuff, it, Play School was kind of by chance in a lot of ways. I did another show called um, My Great Big Adventure, which was a presenting role for ABC Three, um, which is the kids ABC really and I hadn't done any presenting before and I I remember my agent sent me the audition and I was like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to be seen as a presenter. I'm not sure if I want to do this. And she said, just, just go for it. Just go for it. And went in, um, did it, got a call back, uh, did the call back with who would become the uh, co-presenters in Cantry Mills, who had been doing a lot of stuff on ABC um, as a presenter and uh, Steph Bendixson, who is probably one of the biggest voices in gaming in australia um and nancy dennis and just it was just easy they, they made it really easy uh and going on to the show I, the presenting thing kind of came naturally probably because of them in a lot of ways of just them doing their thing and i'm like oh that's what you do and i just did it um and from that the executive producer is was also the executive producer for play school and she said do an audition for play school um and i was like yeah because it's play school is a really tough thing. Everyone wants to do play school. It's one of the most sought after roles you can do because it understands that it's going to have actors and it can't provide enough pay to 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 live off. So they know that you're going like to go go and do other things, but it's always going to be there for you if you want it. Um, so like I'm on neighbors at the moment, but I'm pretty sure I haven't checked with them, but. Um, once neighbors sort of comes to an end for for me then i can go back to play school and keep it going um and it doesn't hinder you in any way you can play you know a prostitute or a drug dealer or whatever uh, because they say well they're not our audience so <laughs> they're not going to go see you doing things you know like um the, the little kids aren't going to see you do those things so it's that separation uh, is fine which is great um so that's sort of a, a bit of luck but i was also in a place where i was i was ready for it and um yeah, that's why I tell people just go and do stuff. Do as much as you can so that when opportunities come, you're you're ready for them. Because if I hadn't done that other show prior, um, I wouldn't have had the confidence going into that play school audition to to do what I needed to do. And they may, it may never have asked me to come back and audition again. Um, so it is really about that preparation and and not waiting for someone to give you the opportunity to be prepared either. Um, going out and making the most of what you you can, and then and and just keep plugging away. Um, I always say to people as well, like you have to love acting. You can't be doing it for the fame and the glitz and the glamour because there isn't much glitz and glamour to be fair. Um, that's, that's fleeting. That's very momentary. Um, so I always say you've got to love it because um, you're not going to have any job security. Uh, for the most part, the money's going to be all over the place and, and not really great. Um, and you're going to have to give up a lot of things, you know, for the, it was. It's actually hard. It was actually hard for me, you know, after you finish school and, and going through union stuff, knowing that I wanted to be an actor. If I didn't know, then I, I felt like I would have been more free to go and travel more and just do whatever came to my mind. But because I knew I had this goal, then if I wasn't working towards it, then I felt like I was wasting time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which, which is sort of a weight that you 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 carry around, uh, and part of that persistence, the longevity of carrying that weight, is is you you your why has to be strong enough and your why um, you wanting to act and what, what what's drawing you to it has to be strong enough so that you can persist with that you can carry that weight and it doesn't drag you down um, it gets hard obviously and it, it's frustrating and all that kind of thing but you've you've, you've got to see the bigger picture at the end um, and even now you know I like arguably people look at me and say I'm pretty successful in my my career as an actor but um, that drive for me to continue on and to keep building um, doesn't stop um, and most of the actors that I've ever met who are successful that there isn't really an end goal. The goal is kind of a continuation is to keep acting even on the flip side, like someone, like a financial person might ask, Oh, when are you think you're retiring? And I go, well, I, 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 don't like it's, as an actor, it's like, you do it until you physically can't really. And even <laughs> then you might just do voiceovers. <laughs> like, um, keep it, 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 it has to be a thing that you just, there is this, innate drive and want and desire that for me, you know, it's telling stories and communicating and representing um, different people. And um, through that, I mean, it, it links back to this mental health thing of, of making un- underrepresented people, especially feel not alone because um, even with Neighbours growing up for me, I didn't see very many people who looked like me and I never thought I would be in a show like Neighbours or Home and Away. Um, and the fact now that I've, I've been on the show for five years is, it cho- A, it shows the progression of the show itself and how it is now representing a larger portion of Australia and and endeavouring to do that in in not only a racial sense, but sexuality and, and gender and um age and it's it isn't applauded as much as it perhaps should be for its diversity and inclusivity in that sense Mm -hmm. um it kind of gets to talk badly if another it gets lumped together with another show which doesn't do that as successfully. let's put it that way i'll keep keep it clean Um, (laughs) yeah um so i'm really proud to be on that show
1: it's, it's amazing how long it's been going for that show. And as you say, to be, to be a part of it, and you've been on there five years, I suppose one of the things when it does come to acting that goes in my head, and I heard another actor recently talk about it, as, as a male dealing with the mental health and coming up against an industry, I suppose, where everything's put on show and, and there's judgment there and everything, when you're doing certain storylines, how is the impact when you're meeting people and the kind of disassociation that people aren't actually coming to see you, Takaya, as the person. They're coming to see the character. So there's the blame game, the judgment, and you're like, hey, hold on a minute, I'm Takaya. I'm not David. <laughs> so how is that when it comes up? Because I heard I heard um, an actor off The Opposing Show start talking about that one day, Home and Away, and he was like, that yeah. was one of the biggest hurdles for him. It was like everyone was coming, and it just played with my head because they weren't there to see me. So as somebody who is now well accustomed to it and used to like five years on that show and all the years, how do you manage that for say anybody in this industry when they're up and coming, I suppose? I think
0: unfortunately with David that he's a character who people generally like, or if they don't like, they just think he's a bit, uh, I don't want to say weak because that's the wrong word, but, uh, he's more sensitive and he's uh much more rational and um conservative in his approach to things or rational in his approach to things um so he's a thinker in that way so it's he's not a person outside of unless you're phobic he's in that divisive so and i don't think many of the characters i've played have really carried that with them so i haven't had that negative uh coming at me from people but i've definitely had people approach me and the, the, one of the, the weirder moments that happen are when you're just walking across the street and they go oh hi and they say it in this really friendly familiar tone you're like is that person who's someone who knows me or is this because it's so familiar yeah because you're in their ha- house five nights a week that you you just and then they'll say david or or whatever other character or whatever and you go ah okay <laughs> now i know where we are um, yeah. Because otherwise, you're like, oh my God, do I know this person? I forgot who they <laughs> are. Is it worse? Yeah, but in terms of them reacting to you as your character, it's if they do, it's just a compliment. It means you've, you've, you've from my side of thing, it's just seeing that if, if I were playing a, a negative character or villain or, um, or Gillen, and, or even in the other sense, even being seen as a hero or something, you've got to take both the good and the bad as a compliment to your skills as an actor, not as a compliment to you as your own character, because you aren't your character in that sense. Yeah. Um, so that you need, you need to do it for both things. Cause if you take all the positives, then you can't deny the negatives. you have to be measured and keep it, try to keep a little head with that. Um, if you were to play a superhero or something, then you you have to know you're not a superhero. Cause I think that'll, <laughs> you, you come a little bit undone at it. some point. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah, in terms of managing that, I think it's best just to, to from, from both ends, uh, both positive and negative, just, just be able to take the, the compliment either way for your skills as an actor, but not as a personal attack or compliment as well either. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: But while she was going through things, and, and we'll attest it towards the, the Imperfectly Perfect campaign of why you got on board. like You speak openly about your own experience with mental illness, first starting watching your NAMPAS from Alzheimer's and then watching your mother's health deteriorate. I suppose we know that you're you're an ambassador for dementia awareness, but what made you, as somebody who's seen it and living it, want to use your platform to then draw attention to it while she was going through it as well. So what was that like, first of all, um, actually seeing your nan pass from it and then you seeing your mum going through the same process whilst you was in the public eye and trying to keep going. And it doesn't even matter that you was in the public eye. I mean, any job, what was the ripple effect on the family when something like that happens?
0: Um, with nan, it was, it was still when I was at school, It's like, I think, I was about 10 or 11 when I think she got diagnosed Um, and I think my late teens when she passed away there's it's it's funny the effect a lot of that time from when I was 18 to maybe 25 is this sort of blurry time for me um, where I really do struggle to place things in a timeline Um, and I'm not sure where that is it's just over time that's just how my brain I guess has processed it into being sort of seen as this sort of a wash of stuff, um, and mum. When mum was diagnosed, I had done a, a couple of things, uh, but I certainly wasn't. I didn't have major exposure or anything like that. Nothing like before play school neighbors and neighbours, um, and so I. I, it, I didn't really step into the public realm with that news, I guess. And I was going through it a lot more at that point too, uh, and trying to. Deal with it and figure it out myself. Um, and I actually I'm trying to think of when that when I made it public and whether it was when I joined Dementia Australia as an ambassador or not. I, I'm actually not sure about that. But um, once I got Play School and then Neighbours came along, and I felt like my profile was was big enough. I, I wanted to use that kind of in a selfish way. To create some positivity for myself around what my experience with mum and her experience is and has been, so that it wasn't all, excuse the French, shit. <laughs> um, and then I've discovered from that, I guess. Um, for that initial thing of like I want to want to help as much as I can I want to raise as much awareness I want to try and help raise funds I want to do whatever I can for Dementia Australia um, and then I think that the I don't necessarily went I don't know sure if I went in thinking that this would be the outcome but obviously thinking about it now it's so obvious that um, the effect then I have on other people um, and what they're going through and for them to see in me that their experience isn't in isolation it's they're not alone in that they're not the 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 shitness of it isn't isn't something that's just for them alone so they can see in me that oh he understands and that's one of the most beautiful thing about the memory walk and jog event itself is because it's all related to dementia australia um, everyone there knows that everyone around them or at least the vast majority just get what they're going through and no one like I, I interview people and bring their stories out as, as much as I can through the day. But um, I, with even without that, just being around people with a shared experience is so powerful. Um, and any of my, a lot of my friends or past acquaintances, people I grew up with or whatever, who now have a parent going through that. And I may have not spoken to them for 10 years or contact me and ask, so this is happening and I don't know what to do or would you have any advice and that kind of stuff. Um and even if I wasn't, you know, in quotation marks, famous um, for this stuff and, and and known as a person who who advocates for it, um, I think even just letting people know my story on a personal level to those, you know, the thousand friends I have on Facebook or something, um, so that then they can approach me. I think that, that that shows the power of doing that. And I encourage anyone who has gone through experience who feels in to have enough strengthen themselves to be able to share their story, to do that as much as they can, because you don't know the effect you're going to have on other people or, or how that's going to help them. Um, and the amount of people that, that come out of the kind of the woodwork in a way to, to go, Oh, I want to talk to you about this because they just don't know who they can talk to because it's taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. Like this is part of your whole thing with the perfectly perfect campaigns exposing um, how common all of this stuff is. Uh, and with dementia, especially, I mean, it, it's the number one killer, um, in the world now and so many people are d- uh, either living with dementia or they're, um, I think it's about 1.2, 1.5 million people are directly in the, involved in the care of someone living with dementia. Um, so there's there's so many people impacted. And then obviously that's only the 1.2, 1.5 or whatever it is for for the directly, there's all the indirects around it, which includes myself at this point, um, the families that are around them. Um, so all these people then come out of the woodwork and go oh you're you're okay with being public about this can we and i just want to talk to you and others talk at me for some some for quite a time often um and i just know I, I i don't need to do anything they just need someone to talk to and and especially someone who understands or has some kind of understanding what they're going through and might have a bit of advice um and one of my go-to things really for a lot of them is just to say yeah it's shit um and not try to offer any real advice outside of just allowing them to know that, yeah, it's, it's not, okay, there's no positive bit about it. Um, and because you don't get better. Uh, all of the medicines that are, are kind of out there at the moment are just about stalling it for a little bit at the start. Um, there's nothing about, there's nothing nowhere near about repairing any damage or stopping it or even preventing it uh, continually. Uh, It's just buying a little bits of time is kind of at at best what they're getting at the moment. Um, so it is like, it's a terminal diagnosis that is very slow, which is very hard to deal with. Um, it's, it's unlike other things where a cancer or something like that, where you get the diagnosis and perhaps you only have months or or even years or whatever. and, And that's obviously a terrible situation. Um, but for with dementia it's the person slowly disappear or the person you know slowly disappearing uh, and not knowing who you are or, or where they are or what situation they're in they're in you don't know what rate that's going to happen you don't know which the next morning what's going to have changed and then it'll be so slow if you're living with them like I was it's so slow that you don't even notice things uh, and generally as it, as it goes the person's not going to tell you uh, we're so wired in survival and defense and instinct in that way that often what what stops people being diagnosed is their ability to hide um i know with nan it it took us much longer to figure out what was going on because we didn't know what was going on all the things that she'd be telling us would just you just sort of flog it off as a weird thing to say or or you know she was getting older so it was just you just kind of think of it in those terms but um in reality you know she was only eating a can of beans a day because she knew that she could she knew how to heat it, heat it up and then she could eat it on a piece of toast and that's where her brain was like i just keep doing that one thing and then i can keep going and keep going and then when they come around i can fluff about and um, not talk about the things i'm not, not aware of not um expose myself in any way um, to make them think that anything's wrong with me um, so even in the case with mum, when i'm living with her all the things that she's now not being able to do i'm not aware of because she's not exposing all the things that uh she doesn't even know she's not being able to do because uh that defense mechanism of, of just hiding all the things so you kind of get in a pattern of 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 all the things she's capable of, which she's going to be capable of for a long time, but everything else around the periphery, uh, which because she's doing less, she's not taking on the responsibilities or, 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 you know, driving me somewhere or something like that. Then all of those things just get given away because you're, you also then uh, as me would stop asking her for those things. So you don't realize that she's not capable of doing those things until it comes to the point where you're at a dinner table and you ask her to pass the salt and, this uh, an immense amount of uncertainty of what that means. Like she, she's, she's looking at it and looking back at you to, to get confirmation that that's what you mean. And, um, and at a certain point, it's just encouraging, yeah, 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 that's, that's it, so you pass it. And then it degrades to just not comprehending whatsoever of what passing the salt means. Um,
1: when you come in from somebody who is then taking care of a parent and it's a different way around, for anyone listening that may essentially be going through this and listening to this episode, what is the best way that you found or you could look back on now? Is it an open conversation that you just need to have, even through those shitty times? Because on one respect, I can imagine your mum's thinking she's the parent she should be taking care of you. However, the roles are being reversed, are you both in a sort of, and I'm just asking so that I can be educated mm-hmm. and everyone who can't be, but is it a sense that there were times you were both looking at each other, didn't know how to bring up the conversation because she didn't want to seem helpless and you didn't want to seem like you was doing too much or did you just not dare ask?
0: Uh, a little bit of all of that. So in the earlier stages, it's kind of not something for that for us will really bringing up in a lot of ways because with Nan it was it was different because she was older and she had been living by herself and um, so it, it didn't really feel the same way but with mum obviously she was she started having symptoms when she was probably around 50 um, to be diagnosed at 52, 53 and um, at a certain point because of the disease she forgets that she has it And so to bring it up is a reminder, which only makes it harder for her. Um, Like you look at things like the notebook and stuff and it just, it shows these lucid moments being like moments of clarity where, okay, we can, we can quickly connect during this period because I don't know how long um, till I'm going to disappear again. And it shows this sort of romantic idea of that. But in reality, it's any lucid moment is a realization of their own position and what they're how they're disappearing and it's traumatic. Mm -hmm. It's a traumatic moment to, to become aware of of what you're going through um, and to realize that I'm, I'm losing myself. Um, It's one of the great difficulties for me now is is with mom of just not knowing whether we're helping her, um, whether for her, she's, Trapped inside there, inside her, her her body, she's still able to move. She's mostly not verbal, um, or whether what you see is what you get, kind of thing. Um, at which point you, you look at me, Cessie, and you go, "Is that is that a good quality of life?" Because when Nan or Mum watching Nan go through it, she turned to us and said, "If this ever happens to me, shoot me in the head." um and so when she was diagnosed and and she was having to deal with it that's the thing she's contemplating at that point because she'd watched her mum go through it and is not wanting that for herself and not wanting to then be the burden um on us like that Um, really encapsulates that quite well um and probably is the the best representation i've seen of it um at least for for my experience of of, of watching mum um because in that film the, the the main character played by julianne Moore um gets the, she's a, like a neuro real person i believe um and Neuroscientists or something like that. so incredibly smart person works at a, a university um, and then gets diagnosed and actually writes for herself a list of things that she then checks every day. and then if she can't tick off the boxes at the end it goes, okay, go to this drawer, pick up these things and then this picks up those things and has another note. okay, take these all of these pills now and then if you can't answer these questions, she she wrote basically a way to to kill herself at the point where, she knew that she would not be aware of what she's doing. Um, and in the film, she gets distracted and forgets to do the thing. Um, like it's, so in that, that watching mum, I guess I'm going through that with her. Uh, I don't know, I don't know, like how do you deal with that? I, I don't really have a good answer. Um, for, how do
1: people support you? as the family members. So from an external point of view, you guys are dealing with this, watching the person that you love go through this. So you're taking on a lot of it yourself. So again, for anyone that's listening, what would you suggest? See a therapist yourself. How can we as friends around the person that's dealing with their parent or loved one actually support them?
0: It's like anything, it's quite an individual thing. So it depends on the person. But at minimum, it's just being there, being around, um, being around enough so that, because some people want to talk heaps, some people won't want to talk much at all. Mm. Um, I was probably somewhere in between, whereas I, I was happy to talk about it on a superficial level, I guess, and on a, um, like a philosophical or contemplative kind of level, but whether I'm very good at actually talking through what's happening for me internally, I don't know. Um, but there's other people who will be, not be able to talk about anything. Um, but maybe if you've sat with them for a, a while, doing whatever you do, especially as, as guys, I, I feel like there's a the, one of the differences between men and women sometimes is that women can talk about stuff and just talk. They'll, like I'll, my wife would pick up the phone and chat to a friend for ages. Um, I mean, myself and my guy mates, generally feel quite weird about just not having something active to talk about something specific. Um, But if we go and we'll uh, work out or or, or play a game or whatever together, then that conversation can happen around that. Um, And even moving to Melbourne from Sydney for neighbors, this going back to Sydney, one of the the best things for me to recharge my batteries was just being around my mates in that way. Um, There's something, there's something powerful with that. And whilst it might feel that that friend who's going through whatever happened with their parent or whatever, um, don't think because they're going through that thing, it doesn't even have to be something around dementia, can be with any mental health issue. Don't think because they're going through that thing, then you should leave them alone. Because the loneliness in any of this stuff is generally the biggest issue. And why the memory walk and jog or I'm now an ambassador for Run Melbourne, um, which should be public by the time this this goes to air um, that these things are creating a community as well um, and that feeling of that no one's alone and whatever you're going through uh, there's somebody else who can be there for you uh, and for any friend who sees another friend going through that it's um, important to just be there be around um, you don't it'll'll there'll, there'll be a pressure to feel like you've got to do something or try to entertain but the normality of just hanging out for me at least is, one of the most helpful things um i think you want that sense of normality because your home life is anything but at that stage um and you're not not it's a new normal and it's never going to be normal because it's constantly progressing every day you wake up something might be slightly different um and i think that's what i was saying before when comparing it to like a terminal cancer diagnosis or something was that um where there's an end point and a strict kind of end point in a way, and you have your, that person is going to be that person up until that end point with dementia. There isn't a defined kind of end point. You, you don't know what's going to happen along the way. And that person, you will wake up one day and that person is still there, but they're not there anymore. Um, and you have, the it's a, the slow progression kind of goes, is it too late now to have all the conversations that I thought I would have had time to have? Um, and that that sucks because even even uh, someone was asking me the other day about something about our my birth and Dad has the odd detail but anything else like Mum was more of the, the storyteller in that way um, but this things that or even about my grandparents and that kind of stuff just things now I can never know uh, and that really have gone with the be uh, gone with the disease. Um, there can be simple things and for people who are more pragmatic or more practical who approach things as a a problem solver kind of thing, which which definitely is me knowing those things like, okay, there's something I can do Mm. to fill the time whilst I'm trying to deal with and process everything emotionally. Um, Because there's an absolute helplessness attached to it Um, because there's literally nothing you can do outside of these kinds of things uh, to help the person it's a thing of, you can be there with them and talk to them and, but the disease is going to continue to do what it's going to do and how they deal with it is going to progress in the way it progresses for them. Um, so that absolute helplessness that can be helped a little bit by, by, approaching these organizations who can give you things that you can actually, uh, do to know that you are improving, uh, the life of the person that you, your loved one, um, so that's, that's, it's, it's, it's that reaching out for help thing. It, uh, when it comes down to it, just, it's incredibly hard to do, but you uh, one of the, it's there for a reason and no one's judging you um, for reaching out. Um, and it's a classic thing that when you look at anyone in authority you think people know what they're doing but when you reach that point of authority you realize that nobody knows what they're doing they're just, they're just making it up and then using their past experiences to help so but you they might have a little bits of knowledge that can help you in some way so definitely for anyone dealing with any issue reaching out for help is the is the absolute best thing that you can do um yeah it's something that I, I would like the like people to know more out there in the public
1: wow so amazing, educational, mate, in like just even what I'm listening to here. But I suppose the last question, what I asked everybody on, which we touch base that day that we caught up, but um, through everything you've been through, and I think we caught up about a year ago now, didn't we? Shoot, was it over a year ago? Might have been longer. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I, I asked. But, I was um, last in Sydney. Everything that you've been through, everything that you've encompassed, I suppose, and then as a male, just to let other males know to speak out and things what does being imperfectly perfect mean to you
0: for me it's being human um i think we as humans as people are defined by our imperfections not our perfections um it's like the classic thing that well, it's not a classic thing maybe <laughs> it's a classic thing with me um <laughs> that sometimes it's better to have something go wrong because then you can you you prove yourself in in um how you deal with that thing, uh, life would, it'd be easy to be a good person if everything was easy and good, you know? Um, but when things are hard to still be a good person is much more difficult um, because you give yourself excuses. Uh, it's easier to, to not take care of yourself physically uh, or mentally. If you're going through something, you'll, you know, you, you go, ah, oh, I'm dealing with too much, so then I'll, I'll binge it, or I'll just sit and do nothing, or um, I won't go and socialise. I won't really t- do all the things that I know is taking care of me, which only perpetuates a worse situa- situation. Um, so yeah, for, 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 for so we are we are made up of our imperfections as much as we are our perfections. But how we deal with our imperfections really is what defines us. Um, And so by being imperfectly perfect, I think that just makes me real and makes me like everybody else. Um, And the more we can observe our own imperfections, the less judgmental we become of others. And I think the more understanding we become of others. And it gives us perspective that, oh, that person did that thing to me why i don't know well i've been through these things and i acted badly at those times maybe they're just going through something so maybe maybe if i shift my perspective on what their actions are it might give me understanding to as to where they are and might actually place me in a position for them that might help them um because people are dealing with things and and some people are better at dealing with them than others i i genuinely feel this there's far fewer innately bad people in the world than there are good but there are a lot of good people going through hard times which makes them act badly um and you know their imperfections are exposed so as best you can and my job as an actor is to understand human behavior uh which if you described another way is just to have perspectives on different situations and different people and how they approach things. I get a character, I get the character brief and I read the script, I know what they say and what they do. And then my discovery is is on why. If I can prove the why to myself then all of the rest is kind of easy. So in the same way, when when people are acting badly towards me, I try my darndest and sometimes don't achieve it, but to um, try to understand what perspective they're coming from. Have I done something that they have perceived in a bad way and that's why they're treating me that way. Can I fix that? Um, And 99% of the time, you're gonna find that that person uh, isn't a bad person. Uh, There are some bad people out there most of the time. (laughs) Most of the time it is someone who's, who if you can try to manage to get understanding of what perspective they're coming from, um, and then they can feel that you understand their perspective. Uh, Because a lot of time people just want to be heard. Yeah. Then that could solve a lot of issues. but you've got to be willing to, to be vulnerable and, and be aware of your own imperfections. Um, I guess to be more perfect. In a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love that. though. You, you, you summed it up in such a perfect way that it's, it, it's so true because like I, I often say, we do judge things all the time, but we, we do collectively need to be mindful because we don't know what people are going through. And to cast a stone onto somebody that may be going through something and judging, hey, we might have been there on that part of our journey. So we're always evolving. We're always growing. We're always, we're always going, but I just want to say to Kaya, thank you so much for coming on the show and just, just going so deep and exposing everything that's just, you've gone through so you can impart education on people that don't know. And what I just want to say on behalf of obviously the campaign and me, thank you so much. Where can people find out more information about you, draw attention to any of the organizations you're obviously an ambassador for, but, um, yeah, let's get these conversations heard.
0: Yeah, well, for Dementia Australia, obviously, Dementia Australia website, all their socials are pretty much at Dementia Australia, but if you search it, it'll come up. Uh, Run Melbourne, that's happening on the 25th of July. Uh, thankfully, currently Melbourne's out of lockdown. Uh, the streets can be filled with people uh, doing something positive for their physical and mental health. There's a 5K, 10K and a half marathon, um, which also allows you to fundraise for... Uh, a charity i think it's one of 200 different charities you can you can choose to raise money for um so both of those things otherwise you can find me on all of the social medias um and for anyone out there who wants to wants a chat you can always um dm me or whatever and um i'm always happy to to, to listen uh and share my experience as best i can um yeah in, in whatever way i can um yeah thanks for having me sorry for <laughs> For, for blabbing on for as long as I do but <laughs> hopefully someone out there gets something out of it
1: <laughs> it's been welcome but guys remember I'm going to place all the uh the links to Takaya and where you can find help for Dementia Australia but make sure you hit up all the major podcast platforms where you can find the Imperfectly Perfect podcast but remember keep on having these hard conversations because it's the hard conversations that save lives until next time enjoy
0: to find out more about the Imperfectly Perfect Campaign and how you can get involved, simply head to our official website at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org or email us today at info at imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org to speak to one of the team. The Imperfectly Perfect Campaign is creating awareness and is not a substitute for professional advice. Should you need help, please refer to your nearest crisis number.